You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by my group coaching program, Foundations of a Yoga Business. Learn more, sign up, or get on the waitlist at teachingyoga.net slash foundations. Hello, yoga teacher. If you're listening to this, I'm guessing you have a pelvis. If you don't, it's kind of a miracle, and I definitely want to hear about it. But for all the pelvis-having yoga teachers out there, your students have them as well, and likely between one-third and one-half of them have some sort of pelvic health condition. Yet pelvic health and how it relates to yoga is not covered in most teacher trainings. So my guest today, Shannon Crow, is a longtime yoga teacher who specializes in yoga for pelvic health. She also trains other yoga teachers to do the same. And today she's here to share the basics of what every yoga teacher should know about pelvic health. Plus, she shares a ton of great info about how to get started if you're interested in focusing on pelvic health for your own teaching. Shannon's passion for this topic is totally infectious. She and I have become really close friends over the past two years since the last time that she was on the podcast. And as I was listening to this episode in order to edit it, I really enjoyed hearing how relaxed we both were. It's so nice to record with another person when neither of us are nervous because we both are comfortable with each other and we're also both comfortable with the format of podcasting because she has a podcast as well. So without any further preamble, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shannon Crow about yoga for pelvic health. Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your insight and your passion with us. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Can you share a little bit about how you got interested in this topic and what your experience has been with it? First of all, I think as a brand new yoga teacher, I knew that I had people showing up in my classes that were pregnant. And we did an hour of review of what to do with the pregnant person in our in my 200 hour and it was not feeling like enough at all. So that's kind of where this journey began. I didn't have a plan in place like, oh, down the road I'll focus on pelvic health. I really didn't even understand what that meant and I had studied anatomy in college. And I'd given birth to three babies and no one was talking to me about my pelvic health in that time. Fast forward to where I really specialized in prenatal yoga and baby and me yoga for quite a long time. And then over eight years developed a prenatal yoga school, uh, co-founded that with my friend Kim. We hired a pelvic health PT to come in and talk to our group for three hours. And it was in that time that I realized that I had diastasis. So that's where the tissue at the linea alba uh, gets stretched during pregnancy, which is normal, but that tissue hadn't come back to what it should have been or what it could have been uh, because some of the yoga that I was doing. So I started to see that you know, plank pose for me had to be modified until that tissue healed again. And then I started to wonder, why didn't I know this as a yoga teacher? You know, lots of people deal with different pelvic health issues, and there's no part in a yoga teacher training that covers it, usually. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it certainly wasn't part of my yoga teacher training. I think I have taken several prenatal trainings and there was definitely some information about pelvic health, probably not as much as there could have been. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Tell us more in greater detail about why pelvic health matters to yoga teachers. So if we take just an average yoga class, like let's say you have 10 people in your yoga class, I would say in my experience, not all classes, but overall usually 70 to 75% of those are usually women. In my classes, maybe it's just me, a lot of those people have had their children and they're 30, 40 plus in my area. That might also be just the population that I teach. In that group, we know that one in three, I used to say it was one in four, 
but it's been updated. One in three women deal with incontinence issues, so leaking urine. So if I looked across this room of 10 people, one in three in there is, is experiencing incontinence. So let's say three people in there. 50% of people who have given birth deal with some degree of pelvic organ prolapse. That's half my class if they've all had babies. Some people deal with pelvic organ prolapse and have never given birth. This is women. We also know that how many people come to class and say, I'm, I have hip pain or my hips feel tight. So that's a pelvic health issue. Low back pain is also very much linked. We're not sure which comes first, chicken or the egg, back pain or uh, something going on with the pelvic floor tissue but it's there. So it's in every single yoga class. If you're teaching a group yoga class, basically anyone with a pelvis <laughs> can benefit from learning about how their anatomy is built and how we can help that and maybe what things might be harmful or what things to watch for. And are there commonly practiced and commonly taught yoga techniques that specifically could be detrimental to people with some of these conditions that you talked about, the pelvic organ prolapse, the diastasis. Talk to me about the things that we commonly teach in yoga classes that might not be appropriate for everybody who is actually in them. Right. Okay. So this is a really good question, and I just want to, first of all, take away any like shame or blame for yoga teachers. I was teaching different things that I teach in a different way now, but I also want to say movement and variation in movement and, and finding things that challenge the body are also beneficial. So I don't want to say like, here are the poses to never do, where at one point I was thinking, okay, you know what, boat pose, forget it. I'm never teaching boat pose again <laughs> because it's a double leg lift. And if someone had pelvic organ prolapse, it could make it worse. So I just want to say that I've backed away from that thought to, we can do every single movement if four things kind of exist. So the very first one is we like it, like we want to do it. Some people challenge me on this and say, well, some people don't enjoy doing something, but that's the pose that they need. Okay, well, that's philosophy. But I'm saying if someone wanted to run and loves running or someone loves jumping and it's part of their yoga practice, let's figure out how we can build that back in for them if they've been told by a healthcare professional, no, you can't run or no, you can't do that jumping thing. Okay, before you go on to the next things, I want to come back to that comment that you made because this is a really common idea in the yoga world. The pose that you hate the most is the one that you need the most, <laughs> right? And that could be true. Like it really could be true, but let's not do poses just because we hate them. Let's not assume that they're good for us because we hate them. Let's have a reason for understanding. Like if we understand, I hate this pose because I'm weak here. And to the best of my knowledge, this is, some, this is something that is good for me. Great. By all means, work on that pose that you hate. But if you hate it and it's kind of mysterious why you hate it, it might not be the wisest course of action to focus on that pose. Or you could run an experiment, right? You could do that pose every day for a week and see, do I feel better? Like overall in my everyday life, am I seeing positive effects from this focus? Or is it still really hard and am I not seeing some kind of tangible benefit? You know, I really think that if we find an exercise that's good for us, generally we feel better immediately. Yes. Like right I away. Agree. We're like, oh, wow, that's different. That mm -hmm. feels amazing. Now, sometimes you can have delayed onset muscle soreness the next day, and that's not super pleasant for everybody, and that's a little bit different, but you should feel in your body a sense of ease after practicing an exercise that's beneficial for you. Would you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. And there are some things like I don't enjoy doing any type of crunch. I never have thought, ooh, I just love this. I can't wait to do more. But there are ways for me to work on strengthening 
and different ways than doing a crunch, like different ways to strengthen my core, basically, if that's the benefit that I was going for. So there are tons of modifications. As yoga teachers go along and get more experience, they can see, okay, you know, this person really loves doing plank, but there are certain things that maybe they're struggling with plank. Maybe they're holding their breath or maybe they're putting too much pressure down onto the pelvic floor. Great. So getting back to your list of how to kind of evaluate whether an exercise is healthy for you or not in the framework of a pelvic health perspective, we said, first of all, we like it. And then maybe we're modifying that to say we like it or we feel really good right after doing it. Would that be fair? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there are some poses that I will add to someone's thing, like say I was working with a woman who wanted to go kayaking. Kayaking was her favorite thing, but she couldn't get up out of the kayak. So we were doing poses to help her with that movement, Mm. right? So it might be something like that as well. So there's a reason or we like that movement. The second thing is, is there doming or invagination? And there are many different um, names for this, but if you look at that tissue at the linea alba, so that tissue that's along the line of your belly button, all the way from the sternum to the pubic bone, and you feel for that tissue, that's where the rectus abdominis muscles meet. Is it popping out a little bit or a lot, or is it doing that reverse doming or that invagination where it's going inward quite a bit? This is the part where I would get a pelvic health PT to assess it. Do you have diastasis? Is that tissue talking to like, is each side talking to each other? Is the tension there? Is it hindering your movement in any way? So if you were wondering about that, or you might even see a yoga student kind of go to move and lift up out of a pose, and you might even see that little doming. Many yoga teachers who would choose to this episode specifically to listen to, a lot of them may have been diagnosed already with diastasis or Uh, pelvic organ prolapse or any number of things. And I mean, I, I myself am pretty familiar with the, the difference between the doming activation of the core muscles versus kind of the more, um, how would I say it more integrated activation? Is that a good way of saying it? Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, where, where the tension is spread out. So for me, I was coming into different poses like plank pose. So I was often involved in yoga teacher training as a demo body. So it was like do plank and hold it for quite a while, which is really not yoga. <laughs> like I, I was doing it for the class and it's hard to do a pose like that and really be doing a mindful movement practice. And so it wasn't helping my diastasis. Now, it didn't take much. I went to my pelvic health PT, learned, you know, step away from these things for a while. Let's do these things for a bit. And it made such a difference in a few weeks. So it can be a really easy fix. The second thing to look for is, well, it might be the very first thing to look for is someone able to breathe through a pose. So We've all seen those yoga students where they go to move into something and then they're holding, they're gripping, they're either holding their breath or we see them kind of trembling and shaking. Check in, are they breathing? We might be trembling and shaking because it's a lot of work for the body to hold a pose or to be in a pose. As long as we're breathing through it, then we're looking after. So we know that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor move together. And on the inhale, they move down together. On the exhale, they move up together. So if we have that breath happening, then that natural movement is happening with pelvic floor and diaphragm. That's a really um, easy way to check in. And so then the last thing on this list of four things is is to check, are they bearing down? So bearing down needs to happen when we give birth. It should not need to happen when we have a bowel movement, but we've probably all experienced what it's like to need to bear down to go to the bathroom. This isn't healthy over time for the pelvic floor if we're bearing down all the time, and we could be doing it when we're sitting in our car and driving and we're stressed out. 
it doesn't mean that it's a difficult pose. What does need to happen is we need to have enough awareness to know, yes, I'm bearing down. Yes, I feel that downward pressure. Now, someone with a pelvic organ prolapse, they might be very hyper aware of that bearing down, but the average person walking around probably hasn't been asked that in a yoga class. Like, do you feel like there's a lot of pressure down on your pelvic floor? Mm. And so you're saying it could become a neurological pattern, basically. Definitely. I have worked with people who say every time I come into a forward fold, I feel that pressure increase. Often they will have a pelvic organ prolapse and they know, and they're trying to avoid that extra pressure down or another body, no visible difference, like in bodies uh, will say when I come into a forward fold, wow, it really decreases the, the pressure down and it decreases my pelvic organ prolapse. It's something that I do for management. So there's no bad pose. Like I was labeling boat pose for a long time, but that's one where people will feel that pressure more so because it's a double leg lift or something like a crunch or maybe a plank. So there's no bad poses, but I know that you have some strong feelings about certain cues where the students might interpret the cue as a tightening of the pelvic floor, such as Mula Bandha. Can you go into this in a little bit more detail? For sure. So one thing I used to, so I first graduated from a Kundalini 200 hour. So there was a lot of Mula Bandha cues and I definitely taught that way until I realized that over 50% of people are usually holding too much tension everywhere in their body let alone in their pelvic floor. So just like, imagine if you came to a yoga class with me and you told me I have shoulder tension. And I was like, you know what we're going to do for those shoulders? We're going to hold more tension in those shoulders. You would feel right away. This doesn't feel right. Like I feel like I need to release that tension. So this feels like the opposite of what I need. When someone has a pelvic health issue because of long ago, Mr. Kegel developed Kegels, this strengthening of the pelvic floor, and many people have been given the advice of just do your Kegels, men and women across the board, which is this pelvic floor engagement. The problem is, is we don't know what's going on with those muscles often. And the other problem is, is that most people aren't even doing that pelvic floor engagement correctly. They might be tightening more around the anus. They might be tightening the glutes. They might be tightening around their jaw. And we know that overall, most people are holding quite a bit of tension in the pelvic floor. There was a really cool study done. It was done only with women, but it will be the same for men. That's my guess. Uh, where this group of women were shown uh, kind of like stressful images. So different images that were stressful to them. And the very first thing that held that tension and reacted was the pelvic floor. And this makes sense. Like we guard. If you look at a student who's in pain, you'll see them tuck their tailbone. They are guarding. And it makes total sense that we would guard that area when we're stressed. The issue is that being stressed because we're being chased by a wild animal and being stressed because we're stuck in a traffic jam doesn't translate to the body any differently. It's all a perceived stress in our brain, and then the body reacts to it. So a lot of people are walking around with the pelvic floor. If you think about the pelvic floor as a trampoline, if you tightened a trampoline and kept tightening it, you will have no give to it. You went to jump on that trampoline, it wouldn't work the way it's meant to work. Same with the pelvic floor. It's meant to lengthen and also be strong. So it needs to do both things just like any other muscle. There's no other muscle in the body that if, if you came and you said, you know, I have this shoulder tightness, we wouldn't say, okay, continue to hold that tension and tighten and tighten the shoulder. We'd be really looking at how can we lengthen those muscles. I totally get the analogy and I 100% agree with you as far as holding the tension, but there is a technique of engaging a muscle that is hypertonic to help it actually relax once you consciously relax afterwards, which is one of the things I think yoga kind of does naturally is as we move through a practice, all muscles are 
engaging and relaxing in sort of a more intuitive way. If you don't have good information about your specific body and what your specific body needs, that the healthiest approach is to be a little bit more task oriented and allow your body to do its own make its own choices about what it's going to engage and relax in order to accomplish that task. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I love how you brought up this point that if a muscle is holding tension, if we thought about even our hand, we might ask someone to really tighten the hand to then feel what that release is like. And that's a great technique to use once someone has enough information. My uh, hesitation or my concern is that I've been to yoga classes where there where there's a continuous cue to either strengthen the core, engage the pelvic floor, do mula bandha, and no information to go along with. You know what? Actually, the majority of people are holding a lot of tension in the pelvic floor, which can then lead to incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse. That muscle holding too much tension can also be an issue. We always think that. If there's a pelvic health issue, that means the pelvic floor is weak. Therefore, we need to strengthen it by doing Kegels. So if you give your students that information and then you ask them to activate the pelvic floor just like any other muscle and they're building that awareness and you also build in the release and the relaxation, okay, as long as as well, they're also seeing a pelvic health PT who will assess what that tissue is actually doing. Right, because sometimes only part of the pelvic floor is engaging, right? Mm -hmm. And the other part isn't. And so there may be other interventions needed, some manual therapy. But I think what you're saying too is that there are a lot of women, specifically men as well, but primarily women who have pelvic health issues that are undiagnosed. Yes, very much so. Even if we look at low back pain and the, and the relationship that that has to uh, pelvic floor. Or here's a great example. A yoga teacher came to talk to me. So she had just done a very focused training on pelvic health, which I know that teacher and I know it's a fantastic training. And she started to have bladder pain. And she had, she went to her doctor for a UTI, a urinary tract infection, and thought, this is what this is. I'll get my antibiotics. It'll run its course. Done. Not done though. So the bladder pain continued. So she was diagnosed eventually with painful bladder syndrome. She was seeing her PT. She was seeing a urologist and she came to see me as a yoga teacher. And what we worked on was restorative yoga, releasing the pelvic floor and no more engaging of the core or the pelvic floor. And she, like, she came back in a few weeks and said, this is exactly what I needed. I was actually so focused on that strengthening piece. It was irritating her bladder. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. And we, and I know that other people will just see their GP and then say, oh, I have like chronic bladder infections. Right. I think that's a good reminder is that there are PTs who specialize in pelvic floor. And if you think you have a pelvic floor issue, don't go see your general practitioner. Don't go see a regular PT because it is a very, very specific skill set. It is. And, you know, a fascinating piece of information about this. I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but here in Canada, a friend just came over the other day. She was talking to a gynecologist and she asked that gynecologist, why is there no longer an internal exam? And she said, because we weren't finding anything. So even gynecologists often aren't trained for pelvic health. This is pretty new here in Ontario, Canada. Ten years ago, we had five pelvic health PTs in the whole province of Ontario. Now there's at least a thousand that have been trained by pelvic health solutions. So it's coming but it's fairly new. It's like if I said to you, hey, there's this really cool person that you can go and see for your teeth. They're called a dentist. I like to go twice a year to see my dentist, have a checkup, see how everything's going. You'd be like, I've heard of that, Shannon. Of course, we go see our dentist for our teeth. Yes. But if I said to you, there's this person who will check your pelvic floor muscles and check how you're doing with pelvic health, 
were like, really? Well, I don't think I need that. <laughs> or it's just normal to start to leak urine after a certain age. No, it isn't. It's really common, but it's not normal. It is super common and it is amazing how normalized it has become. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's great that women are willing to talk about it. That is awesome yes. because I do think that for many, many decades and, and centuries, it's something that you would just never talk about and you would suffer in silence. So I'm glad people are talking about it. But now that we are talking about it, we need to know that it's, it's not normal. It's so true. So and true. there are people who can help us. Yes. It's like 98%, I think it is, if my, if my memory is correct, of incontinence can be helped with pelvic health PT. There was this fascinating study also how yoga can help with incontinence. But the interesting part of this was, okay, so there was six-week program of yoga, two groups of people, one group of people. So they all came in and they all got information about what is incontinence and talked. They got this booklet of information, basically, of incontinence. Then they split these people into two groups. One group did six weeks of yoga and the other group didn't. They just had the information. The people who did the yoga had a decrease in their incontinence. The people who had the information also saw a decrease, not as much, but they also saw a decrease from the information alone. So that's why I'm super passionate that, you know what, we talk to people about their knee pain, their back pain, all kinds of things. They come, like they'll, they'll come to class and say, I have this neck pain or this jaw pain, whatever it is. We need to understand the things that our students are dealing with. And I love how you have made this your niche because when I think about it, and to be honest, I hadn't really given it much thought until this conversation, but when I think about it, I'm like, wow, you know, most people who practice yoga are women. And frankly, most people who practice yoga are women, just like you said, who've already had babies. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, there's lots of young women who practice, there's lots of men who practice, but really, if we look at it percentage-wise, this is the population that practices yoga. And it's also the population who struggles with pelvic health challenges because after you've given birth, your body is different. It will Mm -hmm. never be the same. And you don't know for a long time, you don't know how much of this is normal change, how much of this is temporary change is going to heal just naturally over time. And how much of this is actually a dysfunction that could be helped by information and movement or exacerbated by disinformation or misinformation and less skillful movement. Oh, it is so true. It's amazing. Like I I know of this one woman who was in her 80s or 90s, went to see a public health PT, was dealing with incontinence for 20 years, did the stuff that the PT recommended wasn't having incontinence anymore. And she was really upset that for 20 years she'd been dealing with that. Oh my goodness. And that I, like, I used to be afraid to talk about this in front of a yoga class. So I used to teach a class called gentle yoga for hips and shoulders because I didn't want to call it yoga for pelvic health. I was incorporating some of the stuff that I was learning. And when I would just give a tiny nugget to a group, I tried it out with a group of yoga teachers first. We talked about incontinence in that class. There was a flood of questions at the end of the class. And I realized, wow, this is really needed. And why aren't we talking about it? Like this is, if we took the shame away from the pelvic area, wow, we could really make a big difference. So there are people who have a condition called uh, vaginismus, which means that they cannot usually insert anything vaginally this is a big deal. Like we need to be able to enjoy sex. That needs to be part of our conversation with our healthcare team. And the way that yoga comes in is that we can be working with these professionals. Like we can be working. I work at a PT office where, you know, they'll hit a wall with someone and they send them to me and say, you know what this person needs is they really need a yoga class. They need to learn how to breathe. And I'm working on these specific things with them. Can you take the hour and help them? I'm glad that you brought that up because that's what I was going to ask about next is how you as a 
pelvic health health specialist yoga teacher, how does that fit in with the paradigm of going to PT and seeing a pelvic health PT? Because clearly you have different scopes of practice, different yes. skill sets, and different abilities to spend time with the person that you're working with. So I know that you've been very successful focusing on pelvic health, that you've been able to command pretty high private rate sessions, that you fill up your your small group classes really consistently. So I think it would be really interesting for the yoga teachers listening to hear a little bit about the business side for you of, of how this has looked. And I know you also train yoga teachers and educate yoga teachers in this kind of angle of yoga. Yes. So I train two different groups of people, maybe if I lumped them, people who just want to know about it to incorporate it into their regular classes and have the information. And then people who want to, like me, specialize. I think it's in my personality and just in my curiosity about anatomy and how the body works to be super passionate about public health. So that's one thing, like, I would never tell someone to force into a niche because, oh, well, it's a good moneymaker. Like it's a good moneymaker for me because I love it. Like I, in my spare time, listen to podcasts and read books about pelvic health. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> it makes it really easy. So it might, for other yoga teachers, it might be something different. Totally. And niching down wasn't easy for me in the beginning. Like I struggled to think that I was going to be pushing some people away or all, all of those fears were definitely sitting there, you know, that I would make my market, my audience smaller. I don't know. There were so many that kind of came up, but they were just sitting in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until over time I realized, oh, wow, I can do a registered session and get 18 people to sign up with no problem for an 11 week session when I call it yoga for pelvic health. So that's where I kind of started with it was the group session. And now I only teach one-on-one. -on -one. So it, there's definitely space. And that's why I started training yoga teachers in this. Like people were still asking for group classes. I would only teach <laughs> like one night a week for this 11 weeks. And I only did it twice a year. And then I started only doing it once a year. And the need is definitely there in the community. But what I found was that I could really serve someone in three or four classes maximum to find an at-home practice that would benefit their particular pelvic health needs. And th that's the love. That's the work that I really love. So the business side of things, I mean, it would it be helpful to find out how I got into the PT office or yeah, you can ask me anything. Great. I'll answer anything. <laughs> our local PT came to a workshop and led a workshop at our yoga studio. So we had invited her in I think that's how it started. Yes, it was. It was a pelvic health workshop and we worked together. So she also got to see and hear the style of yoga that I taught. And then I was looking for a card of hers for referrals. So I do a lot of referring out. If someone comes to me and they tell me they have a pelvic health issue, I'm like a broken record. I just don't really want to work with someone unless they're, it'd be like, uh, like if someone came to you with a condition, like I have chronic back pain, well, I would send them to a PT and let's figure out what's actually going on. And then what's the yoga that can support that. But I want to know, you know, have you looked at like why they're, why this is happening? So definitely referrals, but this is a two-sided thing. I want to make sure when I give a referral to anyone that they are amazing and PTs, uh, physiotherapists here in Canada, physical therapists in the U.S., all have different specialties, all have different levels of training, just like yoga teachers. So I'm very cautious. I wouldn't just recommend someone try any yoga class for pelvic health. I'm very fussy with who I refer to. So if you walk into an office and you ask them, what do you specialize in? And it's something like, you know, physiotherapy for children, this might not be the person unless you are a children's yoga teacher. So it's, it's almost interviewing the people that you're going to refer to. I think that's important. The scope of practice part was hard for me for a while. So I thought about becoming a pelvic health PT, but I, I, don't, I don't have the desire to do the work that a pelvic health PT does. I just thought, should I become one? I want to do the yoga. I really want to focus on that for people. So I came to this place where I realized 
my scope of practice is the eight limbs. That's, that's within my scope of practice. And I rely heavily on a team around me, like a, a psychotherapist, a physiotherapist, an osteopath, like a lot of people around me. Physiotherapists, physical therapists, they do not, they also do not want to do what yoga teachers do. They do not want to sit by your side and guide your whole practice. Mm-hmm. They want to test you, figure out what's going on, and then give you like a little, a, a couple exercises to do, but they do not want to babysit you and they don't want to create a whole long program for you. That's super detailed. Of course, like you said earlier, don't do this because you think it's a good idea financially do it if you're passionate about it. But if you are, there is a big, big market for this because there's a lot of need. If you can find the right relationships with physiotherapists, physical therapists, then there is this stream of referrals that is effortless. Yes. I think that's really important to a lot of yoga teachers because we don't really love the marketing piece so much. And so to have a an effortless stream of referrals is really huge. Yeah. I would just put out like one or two emails and have that session full, you know, and my list is for my yoga students, local yoga students is around three or 400 people. It's not massive. It's, it's, it's a fair size list for a local group in our area, but it would fill with no problem. Amazing. I loved what you said earlier, and I think that people from all different types of niches who want to interface and collaborate with healthcare professionals, I think that this crosses over this idea that you invited them to teach you. Because once you become their student, they automatically are going to trust you. I mean, if you think about all the yoga teachers listening and you, Shannon, as well, if you think about how do you feel about the people who show up in your classes week after week? How do you feel about the people who are like the first to sign up for your workshops? You have so much respect and love and appreciation for those people. And you also have a decent understanding of what their skill set is in this, in this realm. Right? So I had never thought of that. I have had people ask me before, how do I connect with PTs? How do I connect with PTs? And I have, here's a little, um, this is a little sneaky trick that I've advised people to do before. At least in the US, if you wanna become a PT, you have to do 50 hours of observation. And so PTs understand that this is part of kind of the system, that you have to let people observe you. So probably it wouldn't be 50 hours, but you could probably get like eight or 10 hours under one PT. So if you want to develop a relationship with them, you tell them, I'm considering PT school. I'm doing my observation hours right now. And you get to go in and watch them and learn and and see if they're a match personality-wise and skill set-wise of what you're looking for. So now there's kind of two options, right? You could do that or like Shannon did, you can actually invite them to teach at your studio invite them to host a workshop and participate and see where things go from there. Exactly. And it is super important that you feel that connection with that person. You know, a lot of PTs, and I wouldn't suggest that you don't pay them, but a lot of PTs in our area will do workshops like this for free because it's their advertising. I'm a firm believer in paying them. Even if they say, oh no, I do these things for free all the time. If you pay them and they're getting business, you, you will guarantee that they will come back and do it again. Oh, yeah. So partner with the PT if, if you feel like it's a good fit. You know, maybe they could be talking about some sort of condition that people are dealing with. A great example is endometriosis. So a public health PT could focus in and talk about endometriosis, and then you could lead a yoga flow for that group of people that helps with the pain that they're experiencing, helps with the nervous system, um, gets maybe, into some of the things that they're talking about they're dealing with. Yeah, maybe even some mental, you know, mental emotional components. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there, there was a, someone in our public health professionals group just shared yesterday that she invited 
everyone in her area of all like PTs, doctors. I don't know if she went for midwives and doulas, but those would be other people as well. Anyone who deals with someone pelvically, she invited them to a yoga session, a free demo yoga session. And she said, you know, only three people have signed up out of, I don't know how many invites she sent out, but she said, those are three people. And if they start referring people to me, that'll make a huge difference. That is huge. So. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, it is, it can be hard to get people to come to you. Yes. For a demo. I think yeah. another way of doing a demo is to offer to come to them and do a demo. And that can be a little bit easier, yeah. but there's, you know, like we've just been talking about, there's all these different ways in once you start getting creative and it really is about one following your passion. Like Shannon said earlier, you can't, <laughs> you can't make a success of a yoga niche that you're not actually passionate about. It will no. not work <laughs> because number one, it's always way more work than you thought it was going to be. So you have to be committed to it. And number two, the passion is going to come through whether it's there or not. And if it's empty, it's, it's just not going to land with people. Yeah, I have a great example of that. I teach a four-hour workshop and I teach it for the public. Like anyone can come to it. Yoga teachers can as well. And this yoga teacher in my area, she's about an hour away from me. She's fantastic. She, she knows a lot about pelvic health. She wanted me to come and teach it. And I said to her, you know what? I can come and teach this four-hour thing. If you, if you take a ton of notes, you could then teach it in your studio. So she said, okay, great. That was the plan. She was taking notes the whole time. She was super in the thing. And that was the understanding. At the end of it, she came up to me and she said, you know what? I'm just going to get you to come back. I'm just going to hire <laughs> you to do it again. You are so excited about this topic. I can't do that. Right. That's it. And that's me giving up total like competition. You know, she's an, she's an hour away from me, but I know that I am learning constantly about it. and. I'm excited about it. So it doesn't matter if there's 20 other people doing it. They'll, they'll never do it the same way as me. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the topic that you and I discussed the last time you were on my podcast, which was one of the very <laughs> first episodes. I will um, note the, the episode number in the show notes, but it was about collaboration among yoga teachers because there's definitely, as yoga becomes more, seen more as a potential career and more as a potential business, there becomes more sense of competition between yoga teachers and between studios. And, you know, well, you can listen to what we think about that. <laughs> that That's great. But basically we think there's enough for everybody. And we think that if you, if you focus on yourself and you focus on what you're passionate about and who's in front of you and who you can help, then you're going to be way more successful than if you compare yourself to other people and view other people as competition. Yes. Even when they're in the same niche as you and you're like, oh my gosh, they took my thing. Yeah. It's not going to matter. Yeah. That's what I think too. <laughs> Well, Shannon, this has been really, really awesome, really fun. I love how we got to learn about pelvic health and we got to learn a little bit about niching and about interfacing with health professionals. Is there anything else that you really wish that yoga teachers, just any yoga teacher understood about pelvic health? Very small thing. I can think of one example that I'd love yoga teachers just to try. So a very small practice. I don't know about you, Mado, but in my yoga teacher training and in all of the yoga classes I'd led for a very long time, I often cued bridge pose on the inhale to lift. So lifting the pelvis on the inhale. I would encourage yoga teachers just to try switching it. So take an inhale before you lift into bridge and exhale to lift. So remember how I talked about earlier, how the pelvic floor and the diaphragm move together. So on the inhale, they lower down together. And on the exhale, they both lift together. It's like we're not fighting gravity anymore. So we have a different sensation. There's nothing wrong with lifting on the inhale. But if you were possibly dealing with pelvic organ prolapse, or you were bearing down, or you had pelvic girdle pain or low back pain, see what it's like to lift on the exhale 
also on that note for every single yoga teacher, if you are always cueing a movement with a specific breath, switch it around and see how your brain reacts. We make new neural pathways in the brain when we do that. So Mm. I would say practice and play around with it. Yeah, that's awesome. And another thing that I love to do is to just teach it both ways. Yes. And invite your students to make up their own minds about which one they like better, which one feels better to them. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. So Shannon, if anybody listening today would like to find out more about you, would like to work with you, would like to learn about pel- more about pelvic health from you, how can they find you? I would say if they really want to focus in on the pelvic health part of things, go to pelvichealthprofessionals.com. And look under our resources. We have a ton of articles and podcasts there, and they can take in all kinds of information about different pelvic health topics. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm sure you'll be back maybe another year or so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Mando. It is great to chat with you and see all of the work that you're doing. I'm super excited. I know that I have you on the podcast very soon. Uh, I don't know when this will release and when that will release talking about workshops. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for everybody listening. Just as a little, a little uh, peek behind the curtain, Shannon and I are in a really cool mastermind together. We have four yoga podcasters and we meet every other week and we just get such a kick out of each other. (laughs) (laughs) it's like girlfriend time but it's like super (laughs) super intense professional uh time the only thing is that like two of the four are Canadians and the third is like a really really nice American so I like am they're so nice that they're making me I feel like they're turning me (laughs) into a nicer person (laughs) this this is so not what I was I thought you were gonna say two people are named Amanda so well there's that too (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious that's definitely not how I see the group is like nice and not nice so just so you're listening. I'm not, not nice. I'm just like, I, I, I feel some pressure to keep up with the niceness. <laughs> you are, you have some amazing ideas in there and it's so fun. You're right. It's super laser focused. We have a timer and it's like, get your, get your words out and let's dig in and help each other. It's so fun. Yep. All right. Well, after, after that little peek behind the curtain, we're going to wrap up and um, yeah. Thanks again, Shannon. Thank you, Mado. I love how passionate Shannon gets about pelvic health. If you feel the same way, I do hope that you check out her Pelvic Health Professionals membership. I'll put a link in the show notes to sign up or get on the wait list if the doors aren't open when you listen to this, and they won't be open when this episode is released. I also really appreciated hearing about how she built her one-to-one pelvic health consultation business. That information is so valuable for any yoga teacher who's interested in a more therapeutic niche. Shannon does do consultation calls with yoga teachers, so if you want her advice one-on-one, I'll put a link in the show notes for how to sign up for that as well. I believe that having mentors and guides who have gone before us is so important as yoga teachers. Just this past week, I had a really great question come up in my Foundations of a Yoga Business group coaching program, and I wanted to highlight it here because it's a really common question. One of the participants was considering an additional training, but she was questioning herself around imposter syndrome. She was asking, do I really need more training or do I need to just go for it and go all in? And in my opinion, the answer is both. I do believe that in order to be a good teacher, we need to always be a student. But many, many yoga teachers spend way too large a percentage of what they make on training. And this is totally fine for the first few years. But after that, I think it's good to set aside a percentage and decide ahead of time, okay, this is my budget for training. And if I make more, I can spend more. But instead of going from, oh, I want to take this training, how do I make it work? Go to here's what I want to spend on training. And here's what it's going to take if if I decide I want to spend more. Now, if you're a full-time yoga teacher or you aspire to be a full-time yoga teacher, 
then after a while, you probably need to switch your investment from more yoga trainings towards business trainings. The straight up truth is that for most yoga teachers, skills in yoga alone are not enough to make a fair living with your teaching. And this is a realization I personally came to about five or six years ago. Since then, I've been investing primarily in business trainings. And what I have learned has completely blown my mind. And I really, really wish I had known it earlier on in my teaching career. I had already been teaching for about 10 years when I finally made the switch from investing in more and more training to starting to also invest in business skills. So I hope you do not wait as long as I did. It will vary person by person. But if you're a full-time yoga teacher who's been teaching five years or more, let's say, and you feel you're not being fairly compensated for the amount of blood, sweat, tears, and heart you put into your teaching, I would definitely put a pause on investing in more yoga trainings and get your business foundations in place. There are so many places these days to learn about business, even so many programs that cater to yoga teachers. But if you would like to learn from me, the way that I primarily teach business skills is either in one-to-one coaching, which I don't currently have any openings for, or in my Foundations of a Yoga Business group coaching program. You can find out more about it and either sign up if doors are open or get on the wait list if they aren't by going to teachingyoga.net slash foundations. That is all for this week, friends. I hope that you'll join me again next week for an in-depth tutorial about stepping from downward facing dog into lunge, because this is a transition that a lot of yoga students and even teachers struggle with. So in this episode, I break down why it's so difficult for people, what is required biomechanically in order to make it happen, some alternative transitions, and exercises to help you and your students build strength towards doing this transition successfully. In the meantime, remember to make time for self-care and to center your own personal practice.